Hello, I'm Alec Abtikov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. Welcome to the new year, everyone. I hope you all have had a great holiday and are able to relax right now. After all, a goal of this podcast is to help those who need a 20-minute break in order to listen to some history that helps you not only sympathize with the character, but also keep it lighthearted enough to make sure I'm not boring anyone. However, none of this would be possible if nobody listened to this, so I would like to say thank you for all the support you all have given me, and thank you for everything you have done for me. If you want to support me further, give me some honest feedback by either giving me a review or a comment wherever you listen from. Feel free to follow my Instagram using the link in the description. Or if you want to use good old email, ask me questions there. With my personal introduction out of the way, let's get into the meat of the episode, which is honestly fairly controversial, but needs to be talked about if we are discussing Frederick the Great. As a disclaimer, Homosexuality is a fairly combative topic, depending on where you are from, and I do not necessarily feel equipped to talk about this subject. So, if you all feel free, there are things I could have added or done without, please let me know. There are multiple podcasts and YouTube videos that already go into detail about Frederick the Great's sexuality, such as Queer as Facts podcast, Bad Gays podcast, and, of course, Emperor Tiger Star's video about Europe's gay king. All of these will be linked in the description, and I recommend them all. We will also be talking about Frederick's time at Rheinsberg. What is Rheinsberg, you may ask? Well, I will get to that during the course of the podcast. But first, we must go way back in time to remind you what happened back in August in the episode Kata and Mouse. So, if you don't remember that far back, please listen to that episode right now. So, Frederick, as the heir to the throne and the soldier in the army, tried to escape Prussia during a trek with his father across the Holy Roman Empire, with his eventual goal being England. He, of course, failed spectacularly, and his father had his accomplice, and most likely his lover at the time, Hans Hermann von Katte, beheaded in front of Crown Prince Frederick. I shall quote myself to revisit the dramatic scene. The day had come when von Katte would be decapitated at 7 a.m. on the 6th of November, 1730. He was taken by the guards over to the center square of the fortress, where there was a small mound of sand. Frederick had his face pressed against the cell bars by two guards in order for him to watch the proceedings. Frederick yelled out to ask Kata for his forgiveness in French, and Kata also replied in French not to give it a thought. Kata knelt on the ground, took off his necktie and wig, and called out for Jesus to accept his spirit. Frederick's first love was about to be executed, and Frederick tried to free himself from the guards and somehow reach von Kata, but it was too late. The axe was raised in the air, and with the single sharp thud, Hans Hermann von Kata was no more. 
At that very moment, Frederick fainted. After that moment of his life, Frederick was no longer the same person he was. He realized that nothing, even his own death, was worse than what his father had done to him and to Kata. He would fall into desperation and pled for his father to forgive him. At Kisto in prison, two weeks after the execution in November of 1730, Frederick threw himself at the feet of Frederick Wilhelm. Frederick swore allegiance to the king according to Tim Blanning's biography of Frederick the Great as, quote, as a servant, subject, and son. Two days later, he began what David Fraser's biography of Frederick the Great called, quote, a rigorous regime. Frederick would now be training for how to be a ruler. At Kistlin, he learned that it he learned what it meant to keep his finances in order. He would learn everything that was to be known about administration. He would ride out to farms and ask about the situation there. Once he came back, he was put under house arrest once again. Frederick would then listen to religious sermons that would last up to four hours. Keep in mind that Frederick did not believe in Christianity. And here's a quote from him of the subject. In Frederick's political testament of 1768, he wrote that Christianity is, quote, an old metaphysical fiction stuffed with miracles, contradictions, and absurdities, which was spawned in the fevered imaginations of the Orientals and then spread to our Europe, where some fanatics espoused it, some intriguers pretended to be convinced by it, and some imbeciles actually believed it. Essentially, Frederick believes that Christianity is poppycock. However, by that point in time in 1768, Frederick had the freedom to voice his opinions, whereas in 1730 through 1731, Frederick was firmly under Frederick Wilhelm's thumb, he was no longer that sly fox that we saw when he was growing up. He had to genuinely act as if he cared about being devoted to his father's wishes. Essentially, he finally became what his father always wanted, a puppet. Frederick now had a full plate and could no longer read all the books he wanted, being limited to a list that was approved by his father. He would also sit in on War and Domains board meetings where he sat at a lower level table. And if you ask why he was humiliated in such a way, uh, it was his father, he arranged the whole thing. Speaking of humiliation, there was one time that Frederick Wilhelm visited Kirsten where Frederick was staying. When Frederick entered the room, he threw himself at his father's feet. This was when things got bad. Frederick Wilhelm went on a tirade when he yelled at Frederick, saying that if Frederick's plan to escape had succeeded, his father would have locked Frederick's mother and sisters in, quote, where never again they would have seen the sun or the moon. The whole thing ended with Frederick kissing his father's feet. Nasty. There was one last humiliation that Frederick had to endure. Marriage with Elizabeth Christine of Bevan. Frederick's mother hated that idea because she felt Elizabeth was far too low of nobility for Frederick to marry. According to Tim Blanning's book on Frederick the Great, 
Frederick's mother described Elizabeth as a, quote, silly goose and a bad-tempered bigot with a deformed hip. As far as insults go, the next one is a doozy. Frederick's sister, Wilhelmina, said that Elizabeth was, quote, as thick as two planks and completely uneducated. Heaven knows how my brother is going to put up with such a pipsqueak. Even Frederick Wilhelm had something to say when he called her, quote, neither ugly nor beautiful. During the engagement ceremony, Crown Prince Frederick was seen to have cried. Most likely not tears of joy. This, le this then leads us to Frederick's sexuality. In order for us to understand Frederick the Great's sexuality, we must first understand the history of the term homosexual. In the article, Kingship, Sexuality, and Courtly Masculinity, Frederick the Great and, and Prussia on the Cusp of Modernity by Bodie Ashton, 1868 was the first year that the term homosexuality was used in a pamphlet about decriminalizing it. Before the pamphlet, the term homosexual did not exist. If you practice same-sex relations, then you are considered a sodomite. Practicing sodomy during the reign of Frederick Wilhelm was a crime punishable by death, and not just the instant kind of death either. There was a woman named Katharina Margareta Link who dressed as a man to marry a woman, and she was put to death by King Frederick Wilhelm. I will spare you the grisly details. So, when Crown Prince Frederick was being interrogated, by his father, and one of the questions for Frederick was, did you seduce Kata or did Kata seduce you? It is not clear if Frederick Wilhelm meant it in a sexual way. So, to sum up what I just said, essentially homosexuality wasn't a term until the 1800s, and sodomy is the act of what we would call today homosexual relations. Let me give some context why I won't use the term homosexual when I describe homo when I describe Frederick the Great's sexuality. The actual term homosexual was not used until after the United States Civil War. According to that article by Bodie Ashton, he writes, quote, The very term homosexuality and its implications were first expostulated by the German-Hungarian doctor Karl Marita Kertbeni in an 1868 pamphlet aimed at decriminalizing same-sex relations. Katzbeni's contemporary, the Bavarian lawyer Karl Heinrich Orlechs, also campaigned for the normalization of same-sex relations. Unlike Katzbeni, who saw homosexuality as a biological imperative, Orlechs saw his own same-sex desires as a deeply ingrained question of identity, Significantly more complex than simply, as Katzbeni would understand it in 1868, the act of members of one gender sexually desiring members of the same gender. When I first heard that homosexuality as a term was not as old as Karl Marx, I was fairly astonished, as I am sure many of you are. With the science of sexuality in its infancy in the 19th century, the ways people identified themselves in the 18th century were different. People that we would consider gay today were considered sodomites. So, why do we think Frederick the Great was most likely a sodomite? Well, 
there are erotic letters and poems that we know Frederick wrote, and I will not read them today, but you are free to look them up. And in Tim Blanning's book, he references Reinhard Alling's answer to the question of Frederick's sexuality. He writes, was Frederick gay? There was no reasonable doubt. My opinion is that Frederick was gay, but I want you to form your own opinions on the matter. However, there is evidence that Frederick did have some heterosexual activity as well. According to Tim Blanning's biography of Frederick the Great, Frederick wrote seven letters to a lady between 1731 and 1732, one of which I will read an excerpt. Accept, madam, a heart that is too tender, which impatiently awaits your permission to lay before you its sweet submission and which until now has hesitated to do so. I count the minutes, I count the minutes, until I can receive from you the decision that will determine my actions. Well, anyway, spoiler alert, Frederick did not have a good relationship with his wife and ended up never having children. Not a surprise there, but I still gotta say it. But when Frederick first met her, it wasn't as bad as he thought it would be. Frederick wrote, she was, quote, not as bad as I had expected and had been led to believe. But because she was Frederick's Wilhelm's choice and not his own, Frederick would never love her or even be friends with her. They were engaged 18 months before they were married. Frederick even considered committing suicide by shooting himself rather than marrying. Frederick even wrote a letter to his father's minister, Grumkau, after he received a gift from his fiancée, Frederick said, quote, My princess has sent me a snuff box, which arrived broken, and I'm not sure whether this symbolizes her virginity, her virtue, or her as a whole person. Ouch, Frederick, that's harsh. There is apparently hardly any evidence of what happened after the wedding, but Frederick's first instinct was to write a letter to his older sister, Wilhelmina, and he wrote, Thank God that's over. Again, Frederick, why you gotta be so harsh? To make a long story short, Frederick despised his wife with a passion. However, there was a man who was considered Frederick's favorite in his social circle. I'm going to read a quote from the autumn of 1739. Quote, the first valet of the crown prince, Frederick, Michael Gabriel Fredersdorf, is a tall, handsome man who is clever, shrewd, courteous, considerate, skillful, and adaptable, with an eye for the main, main chance, but also generous. I believe he will have a leading role to play someday. Fredersdorf was a former musketeer, and he was the son of a musician. What did Frederick's wife think of his new favorite? She was flabbergasted that a man, quote, from the back of Pom back end of Pomerania was able to be the king's right-hand man. It is likely that the relationship was more than platonic and was more like a pair of husbands. The last thing I would like to leave you with is Frederick's time in his abode at Rheinsberg. Rheinsberg is, quote, in 1733, the year of his marriage, 
Frederick Wilhelm gave him the estate of Rheinsberg. Fifteen miles north of his headquarters at Neuopen, and he made it his home. This was according to David Fraser. Also according to David Fraser, this time for Frederick was one of the happier moments of his life. The Schloss, as it is called in German, resides next to the Grinerechsee, in the middle of an oak forest. The exterior looks a little something like this. The brick roof are atop the tan stone structure that makes up the majority of the castle. The front garden falls right into the lake, and on the clear days, one can look at a mirror image of the Rheinsberg Palace on the lake. The interior stuns you with a checkerboard floor pattern and gold leaf on the ceiling. In one of the rooms, there is a painting of King Frederick Wilhelm that seems to stare directly into your soul. As the baby blue walls surrounding the painting seems to calm the intensity of Frederick Wilhelm's mighty stare. One of Rheinsberg's tower housed a library full of nearly 4,000 volumes. From Rheinsberg, Frederick began his correspondence with Voltaire, a scoundrel of a man, yet brilliant in his own right. By the way, Voltaire will be getting his own special episode or two later down the line. Anyway, Frederick's mind began to wander from philosophy to music and to foreign affairs while he was at Rheinsberg. Frederick then wrote a letter whose contents will grow to be extremely prophetic in the coming years. Frederick wrote, quote, A king of Prussia must take great care to maintain good relations with his neighbors. And since his lands cross Europe diagonally, cutting it in two, it follows that he must develop understanding with all kings, since he can be attacked from multiple directions. In this situation, he would be deficient in imagination simply to let matters rest there. If one does not advance, one retreats. If one does not advance, one retreats. Think of that the next time you don't feel like working out at the gym you haven't been to in months. Huh? Anyway, thank you all for your patience in waiting for me to publish this. The goal was to get this done in early January. But as you see, I kind of failed. So, there you have it. The rebirth of Frederick's reputation in the eyes of his father. A horrible mismatch that was Frederick and his wife. And the palace that sits along the lake. All of this is leading to something that Crown Prince Frederick has been waiting for his whole life. In the words of Lion King, Oh, I just can't wait to be king. See you later.